0: Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a
1: revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world.
0: Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 2. I'm James Laidler, Australian poet, writer and your host. In today's episode, we'll be adjusting the dials of our time machine and tweaking our calculations before finally pressing the launch button that will send us back across the sands of time to the land of the ancient past. Our destination? The land of the all-powerful pharaoh, Ramses II, but hold on just Wait a second, something, something just isn't quite right. As I open the time capsule's hatch, and look out hoping to see, spread out before me, Ramses II’s mighty kingdom, resplendent in all its glory, the evening sun glinting off the golden tops of the pyramids as Egyptian citizens move about their business in the thrumming city metropolis. I'm greeted by something else. All around me, as far as my eyes can see, is a barren, hungry desert, and the crumbling remains of a once glorious statue. I look down at my watch and realise I've only jumped back to 1817, and then everything makes sense. Welcome to the historical birthplace of the famous poem Ozymandias, by Percy Bysshe Shelley. And for those who didn't already know, Ozymandias is simply another name for the pharaoh, Ramses II. And what's that I hear, coming to us across the shifting sands? Why, it's Shelley's famous poem, read to you by the wonderful Simon Jackson.
1: Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away.
0: So I want to start our discussion today by looking at the historical context of this very famous poem. Shelley was born in 1792 in Sussex, England, and died in 1922 at the age of 30 in a boating mishap off the coast of Italy. As a romantic poet, Shelley's passionate search for personal love and social justice was gradually channeled into poems that rank with some of the greatest ever written in the English language. A radical in his poetry as well as in his political and social views, Shelley did not see fame or popularity during his lifetime, but recognition for his writing grew steadily following his death. Shelley became an important member of a close circle of visionary poets and writers that included the likes of Lord Byron, John Keats, and his own second wife, Mary Shelley, author of the famous novel, Frankenstein. As a writer, while Shelley's output remained steady throughout his short career, most publishers and literary journals of the time declined to support his work for fear of being arrested. This was because Shelley was seen by authorities to be aligned with controversial radical thinking. Following his death, however, and with his steadily increasing readership, Shelley's political views, and in particular his advocacy for non-violence, started to have a significant effect on later generations of thinkers, including people such as Karl Marx and Mahatma Gandhi. In addition to his radical political views, as a romantic poet, Shelley was also very interested in the sublime power of nature and the connection of that power to both individuals and to art itself. The poem Ozymandias speaks to Shelley's interest in exploring these themes and ideas, And it is interesting to note that several years after the publication of Ozymandias, Shelley published a pamphlet entitled A Philosophical View of Reform, in which he called for an end to tyranny and discussed the history of empires crumbling over time. Ozymandias itself had an interesting genesis as a poem. Shelley and his friend and fellow writer Horace Smith challenged each other to write a sonnet about Ozymandias, also known as Ramses II, and his destroyed statue in the deserts of Egypt after reading about the statue in a description written by the ancient Greek writer Theodorus Siculus. Siculus described the pedestal of the real-life statue as containing an inscription that read, King of kings I am, Ozymandias. If anyone know how great I am, Where I lie, let him surpass one of my works. Here it is really interesting to note that in retelling this, an already told story, Shelley does in fact take up Ozymandias' challenge. And history now attests that his poem has perhaps become as well known, if not more so, than the great and mighty Pharaoh himself, confirming the adage the pen is mightier than the sword. Welcome back. Now, I wanted to spend some time here exploring some of the technical aspects of the poem, beginning with form, metre and rhyme. This discussion really enhances one's appreciation of this phenomenal poem, but this is a difficult task on a podcast without visual aids, so I might just mention here that a video exploring the poem's poetic qualities can be viewed on the Lit Poetry YouTube channel. So instead, let's just jump straight into some of the poem's themes, the first of which I'd like to refer to as Power and Impermanence. Ozymandias explores power by arguing that both mighty rulers and their empires will fail with the passing of time. The reality that Ramses II, the king of kings, achievements lie crumbling in a far-flung desert indicates that no amount of strength, power or fortitude, can weather the pitiless and ceaseless passage of time. The poet uses the speaker in the poem to describe how time not only demolished this statue, it also basically destroyed the entire kingdom the statue was built to proclaim. The king's declaration, found on the pedestal of the statue, look upon my works ye mighty and despair, is followed by the line, nothing beside remains. Such a brutal juxtaposition makes the king's arrogant proclamation almost comically naive. Ozymandias believed his achievements would stand forever, as would his intimidating reputation, but his words are ultimately empty, as everything he built has turned to rubble. The domain he controlled and subjugated to his will are gone, leaving only an abandoned desert whose alliterative lone and level sands, leave barely a trace of the kingdom's former glory. The pedestal's warning that onlookers should lose heart at Ozymandias' work thus develops a deeply ironic meaning, as the reader does not despair at Ozymandias' power, but instead the reader comes to bear witness to how even the mightiest of people are, as Shakespeare would put it, walking shadows and poor players on the stage of history. The next idea embedded in the poem I'd like to discuss here is art itself as a manifestation of true power. The poem Ozymandias famously describes how the ruined king's statue boastfully commands onlookers to look on my works ye mighty and despair. Even though there are no great works left to actually sit in awe of, Ozymandias' kingdom, authority and power have all vanished. Yet, even as the poem insists that nothing beside the shattered statue and its pedestal remains, there is one thing that actually has survived through the centuries art. The skillful construction of the statue itself and the words chiselled alongside it have survived long after Ozymandias and his world turned to decay. And through this, Shelley's poem argues that art is perhaps the most enduring tool in preserving humanity's legacy, not might. While the statue is in a state of decay and a wreck, its individual pieces show the skill of the sculptor and preserve the story of Ozymandias. The face is shattered, leaving only a mouth and nose above the desert sand. But the frown, the wrinkled lip and sneer clearly show ozymandias's passions That is his pride, tyranny and disdain for others. The fragments interpret and preserve the king's personality and show onlookers what sort of man and leader Ozymandias truly was. These fragments then are examples of art's unique capacity to capture and communicate an individual's characters even after their death. Moreover... The poem clearly emphasises art's ability to bring personalities to life. The speaker explains that Ozymandias' passions yet survive on the broken statue despite being carved on lifeless stone. Ozymandias may be dead, yet thanks to the sculptor who read those passions and mocked them, or made an artistic reproduction of them, his personality and emotions live. They survive. In addition to highlighting the sculptor's artistic skill, Shelley's poem also elevates the act of writing through its focus on the inscription of the statue's pedestal. The pedestal preserves Ozymandias' identity even more explicitly than the statue itself. The inscription reveals his name, his status as royalty, king of kings, and his command for mighty onlookers to despair at his superiority and strength. His words are thus a lasting testament to his hubris and pride, unparalleled pride, yet it is notable only that the words themselves, rather than the threat behind them, actually survive. Without this inscription, none would know Ozymandias' name, nor the irony of his final proclamation. In other words, his legacy and its failure only exist because of a work of art, specifically a written work, preserve them. The poem therefore suggests art as a means to immortality. While everything else disappears, art, even when broken and half buried in the sand, can carry humanity's legacy. This power of art is reflected by the composition of the poem itself. The very composition of this poem dramatises the power of art. And in doing so, Shelley, shows how art can preserve people, objects, cities, and empires, giving them a sort of immortality, and letting future generations look on past works, not with despair, but with wonder. The final theme the poem seems to focus on is the unrivaled power of the natural world. As a romantic poet, Shelley was profoundly deferential to nature and suspicious of mankind's efforts to rise above it. Fittingly, Ozymandias isn't just a discussion about the fleeting nature of political force, it is also an affirmation of humankind's ineptitude when compared to the might of the natural world. I mean, just look at global warming today and how, in the end, nature itself will potentially swallow up all our collective hubris. The sculpture the sonnet depicts has likely become a colossal wreck on account of the tireless powers of sand and wind disintegrating it in the desert over time. This, joined with the way that the lone and level sands have assumed control, Over all the vast kingdom, the sculpture arrogantly proclaims illustrates nature as a truly mighty force to which humans are ultimately subservient. Shelley's imagery suggests a natural world, whose might is far greater than that of humankind. The statue is notably found in a desert, a landscape hostile towards life. That the statue is trunkless suggests sandstorms eroded the torso, or buried it entirely, while the face being shattered, implies humanity's relative weakness. Even the destruction of a hulking piece of stone is nothing for nature. The fact that the remains of the statue are half sunk under the sand, meanwhile, evokes a kind of burial. In fact, the statement, nothing beside remains, can be read as if the fragments of the statue in the poem appear like the remains of a corpse. The encroaching sand described in the poem suggests that nature has steadily overtaken a once great civilization and buried it, just as nature will one day reclaim everything humanity has built, and every individual human as well. The desert, not Ozymandias, is accordingly the most impressive despot in Shelley's sonnet. The desert is boundless and stretches far away. Like it has subjugated everything the eye can see, including the now mocked and ridiculed statue of Ozymandias. Ozymandias might be the mighty king of kings, but even rulers can be brought down by simple grains of sand over time. So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. Next week we'll be featuring not one but two poems by the world-renowned poet Kevin Hart who will be joining us on the podcast from the USA. It should be a terrific episode and I encourage you to subscribe to the Lip Poetry channel to keep up to date with our upcoming content and to support our work. Each new subscriber helps to secure Lit Poetry's future. I hope you enjoyed this wonderful poem, Ozymandias and I'll see you next time. Let's finish by listening to the poem one last time.
1: Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck Boundless and bare The lone and level sands Stretch far away
0: You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast Presented by James Laidler For more podcasts, poetry videos And other useful resources Visit our website at
1: www.litpoetry.com Thanks for listening